Open your Bible to Jeremiah, my wife's very favorite verse in the Bible. Jeremiah, chapter number 29. We'll begin in verse number 11. Very popular scripture. Very strong scripture. But I want to speak this morning on the thought or the idea of have I got a deal for you. There is a man that's on the national stage right now. And he keeps talking about the art of the deal. And he's just ransacking all the polls on the Republican side, uh, Donald Trump. But he talks about uh, deals and how deals should be good. And sometimes I think we forget as Christians how good our deal really is. So I want to talk this morning about the idea of reminding ourselves, and maybe if it's the first time you've heard it, letting you know how very good the deal is that God offers His people. Jeremiah chapter number 29 and verse number 11. I'll read the King James and then we'll probably dissect in a different translation. The scripture says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you an expected end. The New English translation says it like this. It's probably uh, very similar in the uh, New International Version, the NIV. It says, For I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. Now, the first part of that scripture uh, the Lord, this is literally a letter that the Lord is giving Jeremiah to write to the people who have been exiled from Jerusalem out to Babylon. So he's writing this letter and he says to them, he says, I know the plans. You know, number one, it's important to understand that we as Christians, as believers, we see through a glass darkly. What that would mean in current terminology is it's like we're looking through a fogged up glass. Like in your car when you have to turn the defrost on. The reason you have to turn that on is because you can't see everything you could have seen. That doesn't mean uh, that you can't see a light shine through and it doesn't mean that you wouldn't recognize the town you were in. It just means that everything is not always in focus for us. But the Bible says that God, the creator of everything that was and is and is to come, the one who's done it all, the Bible says that He knows the plans He has for you. So what that means is you and me, we get to get really comfortable, not in the fact that we have everything figured out, but the fact that He has everything figured out gives us overwhelming peace when we're going through a, looking through a glass darkly phase of our life. You see, God knows what He has planned for you. And God is a word that gets kicked around all over television and all over the media and all over... And literally, you can say God almost in any situation. But I just want to be real clear. When I say God, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, His Father, and the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. The Bible says He's constantly looking over His Word to perform. And this is the one who has developed plans for you. He is not weak in any area of his life. You know, a building is only as good as the architect that designs it. 
Somebody, somewhere, before you build a property, somebody's got to put pen to paper, or nowadays on the computer, but somebody's got to plan that thing out, and the building is only as good as the plan, so thank God your life doesn't have to be dictated by the plan that you have, but He has got a plan for you. I'm talking about the one who told the water in the sea you can go this far and not a foot further. I'm talking about the one who pulled on the tops of the mountaintops and said, Everest, you can be the highest and everybody else is going to be a little bit lower. I'm talking about the one who tells the sun when to rise and when to set. I'm talking about the one who flings stars in the sky. The one who takes miraculous uh, 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 molecules and puts them together in the womb of a lady and makes a baby... Can't nobody make a baby without God. I'm talking about the one who sent His only Son to bleed and die for you and for me. He's got a plan for you. I'm talking about a strong tower full of power and might. Ask Pharaoh if God is strong. Ask Nebuchadnezzar if God is strong. Ask Joshua if God is strong. Ask King, ask dead Goliath in hell if God is strong. He doesn't need everybody. He'll take a young boy and kill a giant and set a whole country free. No, he's a strong tower. No, we serve the all-consuming fire. We serve the one who never, never grows weary. He never gets tired. No, he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Anytime you hit the bed, hit the, hit the ground in the morning, when your feet hit the ground, you ought to remind the devil, guess who I work for, devil? My little kids, they're little bitty. It's three, six, and nine. Everybody say, oh, me. It's a blessing every day, I promise you. We go sometimes and we go frog gigging. Who knows what frog gigging is? Wave at me. Did you notice how my accent gets thicker when I say things like frog gigging? Who knows what frog gigging is? Bless God. So we go frog gigging. We like to go out in the pasture, walk around the pond. Frog gigging, if you don't know, is when you go catch frogs and, and, and then you amputate their legs and you eat them. Frog legs are phenomenal. They taste like chicken. Everybody says, well, why don't you eat some chicken? But my kids, I love to go frogging. Even my little three-year-old girl loves to go frogging. We put the little light on their head, you know. You strap the light on their head, and they're running around. Well, well, the pasture, you know, it's got cows in it. And a cow can be a big thing, real big thing. And so to a little kid, a cow can be kind of scary, especially when they walk up on you because you think you got some food or something, you know, like, a cow's everywhere. And it can, it can just be a little nerve-wracking for a child. But if they got daddy's hand, they're not scared of anything. When they got daddy's hand, there's daddy, can we pet it? I'm like, no, you can't pet it. That's like a rodeo bucking bull or something. I'm not messing with that thing. If they don't have my hand, they're trying to get to my hand. But see, the thing is, your daddy created everything that is, everything that is to come, and he's got you by the hand. If God be for us, who can be against us? This is who has plans for your life. Can you imagine? What would you do? What, what would it be like if you could, you know, just, just go up into space and time and heaven or whatever and look down and see your life for the next 85 years? Wouldn't you develop probably a plan based off of what you could see? Well, see, God knows the end from the beginning. This God whom we serve, 
He is more than capable. He is more than able. He is the overwhelming force that drives us and pulls us all at the same time. And the plans that He has... Thank God that the Creator of everything didn't tell you, you better develop a good plan for your life. No, it's nothing like that. He says, I have a plan for your life. And He's all-powerful. He's overwhelming. I remember one time, we had a conversation with my child about a, a demon. I said, baby, if you knew how scared that demon was of you, you wouldn't even think about it. Because the minute you use the name Jesus, every knee will bow. The minute you use the name Jesus, everything changes in your life. The minute you use the name Jesus, it is as sure of victory as if you had already had the gold medal placed around your neck. This is the God who we serve, who has developed, He has developed a plan for you. And not just any old plan. See, if it was just God and not our Father, we might have a question mark on it. Like if you... I have some friends of mine who are Hindu. And uh, Hindu people, uh, they're, they're easy to get to accept Jesus. The issue is getting them to accept Jesus as the one true God. See, they'll like to take Jesus and put Him in the pile. With the, they have over a million gods. They like to take Jesus and put Him in a pile with all their other gods. Well, that doesn't work. You shall have no other God before Him. He is, he is the one. There is no other way to heaven except through Him. Somebody help me preach in here. But He's the all-consuming fire. And the, these Hindus, it's easy to get them to accept Jesus a lot of times. But it takes the power of God a lot. It takes the power of God oftentimes to get them to throw the other ones away, the other gods, to get them off the, off the radar. But in your life and in my life, it's imperative to know that the God who we serve is not just a God, but the Bible says that we can call Him Abba, Father, Daddy. Your Daddy in heaven has developed plans for you. And listen to me, they are plans for good and not evil. They are plans to prosper you. That word there, uh, thoughts of peace in the, in the King James, plans of peace, that's the word uh, shalom, where uh, it's a Hebrew word, and most of the time when you hear it, it means like peace, but it's so much more than that. It means peace, it means favor, it means hope, it means completeness, it means wholeness, it means prosperity. Well, why, what do you mean? What, what's this prosperity stuff? You tell me a good father that wants their child to be broke, and I'll tell you that's not a good father. I don't want my children broke. I don't want my children busted. I don't want them to have to learn the hard way about everything. No, that's nonsense. That's from the pit of hell. I'm going to love them. I'm going to bathe them in the anointing of God Himself. I'm going to remind them how good God is. And in their darkest moment, they will never look at God like He's the problem. They will only look at Him like He is the answer. He's a good God. There's nothing about God that's not good. Now, sometimes we don't understand it all. Did I want to get up this morning and go hold hands with my friends and, and talk about the fact that a very dear friend of ours went to heaven? No, that wasn't top on my list. But the Bible says uh, that Paul said it this way. He said, for me to live is Christ, but for me to die is gain. There's something about even tragedy that God can just pull the good out of it because He's a good God. He's a good father. 
And His plans for you are for good. They are to prosper you. They are so that you would have peace in the storm, so that you would have wisdom in the trial, so that you would have completeness and wholeness and not be trying to figure out every fad that comes along to determine what you can be like and how you can be fulfilled. No, the fullness of joy is found in our God. He's a good God. He's a good Father. One of my favorite songs out right now, uh, the, the chorus of it says, uh, You're a good, good Father. He's a good Father. If you want to know what God is like, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because Jesus said, I don't do anything that I didn't see my Father do. And He says, If you know me, you know Him. So literally, He goes about doing good. Healing the sick, touching the hurting, giving compassion to people that nobody else gives compassion to. He's a good God. He's a good Father. He's so long-suffering, the Bible says. Ephesians uh, chapter 1 says it like this. It is the riches of His grace that give us forgiveness. It's not the fact that you did it right every time. And he didn't ask you to sign a piece of paper and says, if you don't miss it from now until I come back, you can get in. No, no, no. He says, I'm going to separate you as far as the east is from the west from your sin. There's something about a good God, knowing that He's a good Father with good plans for us that will shift everything in your life. When you realize even in the tough times, even in the difficult times, no, He's a good God. All-powerful overwhelming, filled with grace. He's a good father. He, you know, his plans for you are not for harm. You know, there's sometimes when, when we see our children or our grandchildren or, or other people and they're having to endure something and we got to... Has anybody ever been bowling? Just wave at me. Two of you. Praise God. <laughs> you can go bowling. And I didn't realize this when I was a kid because apparently my parents are just tough cookies. I don't know. But you can go to a bowling alley and they can put up this thing that keeps you from having a gutter ball. Has anybody ever had a gutter ball? Johnny. But they put these things up where you can go and, you know, it feels like the ball's going to go into the little trap thing, the gutter. It feels like it's going to fall off the wagon. But it just hits the bumper and keeps going. You know, God is like that in our life. He, he's sitting up there and He's going, Look, you've got to run your race. You've got to make it from here to the end. But I'm going to put some buffers and some bumpers in your life that are going to keep you down the middle long enough where you can accomplish that which I've called you to do. No, He's a good God. That means, that means any, any old religious thought you ever had about God being... No, He's not out to get you. He's out to save you. He's out to redeem you. He's out to fill you with His Spirit. He's out to touch you. He's out to bless you. He's out to heal you. He's a good Father. He comes in like a flood against the flood of the enemy. Any area in your life where the devil seems to have had a foothold, God is waiting with a mallet to hit that foot and get it off of your life. No, He's a good God. He has plans for you. It's an interesting thing when you recognize that He's just good. It's a revelation to a lot of people. Because we've all been through things. I've been through things I'd rather not go through. I've been through things I'd rather not experience. 
I have loved ones that have been through things that I cannot explain them. And if we still care when we get to heaven, maybe I'll ask somebody about it. But the overwhelming fact remains that He is a good God with good plans for you. Here's the catch. You've got to train yourself to remember it. Because all day and every day, you're going to have a reason to not believe it. You're going to have a thought. You're going to have a directive. You're going to have something pushing you in the direction that God is somehow angry at you or you have somehow uh, uh, gotten to the place where you can't hear from God. No. Listen, you can hear from God, God can get His message to you, and God loves you very, very much. But you've got to train yourself. We train ourselves simply by remembering who we are in Christ. Ephesians 1 says that it is those riches of His grace that hold us. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 also that when we are in Christ, we become God's possession. You know, I have some possessions. I have a pen this pen right here. It's my favorite pen. Uh, it was given to me by my in-laws about 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago. So for me, not, not because I have to, but I prefer for all my study time to take place and I'm writing with this pen because it, it, I just like the way it feels. I, I try to eliminate uh, distractions in my study time because the devil... Listen, you can decide you're going to bake a cake. The devil don't care. You can decide you're going to watch uh, uh, Dateline NBC. The devil don't care. But you decide you're going to read the Bible and you're going to have 8 million distractions pop up just like that. You're going to decide you're going to go pray for 30 minutes and the devil's going to give you one thing every minute to try to take your mind off of praying. So for me, I just... I just uh, 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 K-I-S-S, keep it simple, Simon... <laughs> Keep it simple. I keep it simple. Uh, for me, and I, this, you can use this, not use this. But I, I study. I try to study in the same place. I try to study at the same time. If I don't, it is what it is. No problem for me. But I try to study in the same place where I'm not constantly distracted by a different environment. I try to pray in the same area. Some people have a prayer closet. You know, I, I, try, to, I try to keep everything really simple and, and, and uh, repetitive. My prayers are not always repetitive, but I try to keep things the same. So uh, this pen, I really like this pen. I've been through several of the refill things where you've got to replace whatever. It's a real nice pen. I like using it. But this pen is my possession. It belongs to me. And occasionally, it hasn't happened very often, but it's been misplaced before. And when it's misplaced... It didn't come out of my possession. I just didn't have my hand on it. And sometimes in our life, we get to a place where we feel like we're far from God. Now, this pen still, it still belonged to me, even when I don't have my hand on it. But I just can't, I can't see it. I can't touch And there's times in our lives where we just feel like we're away from God. We're living right. We're doing, we're doing everything we thought we were doing. Listen to me. That doesn't mean that you don't belong to God because the Bible says when you got in Christ, you became His possession. The same way that He didn't ask you to make your own plans, He didn't ask you to possess Him. You're incapable. You are the watch. He is the watchmaker. You are the creation. He is the creator. 
in your life and in my life, it's imperative to know whose you are because in the moments when you don't feel like it, in the moments when you don't act like it, in the moments when everything is breaking loose all around you, it is in that moment that you train yourself to remember that you are the possession of God Himself paid for with the highest of prices, the blood of His only begotten Son. And if you can't be held by the blood of His Son, bless God, what could you be held by? The Scripture says, He who would not withhold His own Son from you, what would not withhold His own Son, what would He withhold from you? No, He's a good Father. He longs to bless you. He longs to open the windows of heaven over your life. But you've got to train yourself. You've got to build yourself up on your most holy faith. Ephesians chapter 3 Verse number 20, it's when Paul is finishing, he's finalizing uh, a portion of that book, and he's literally leaving an exit salutation, and he says it very simply. He says like this, he says, Now unto him, so he's fixing, a, he's fixing to close this portion of the epistle. He says, Now unto him that is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Did you know the power that works in you does not belong to you, but the power that works in you came from heaven, therefore you're not relying on your own power. You are simply relying on the power of heaven to operate in your life. When you realize it doesn't hang on your shoulders, all of a sudden you get a freedom in living for God. When you realize it doesn't hang on your ability, all of a sudden you get a freedom to live for God. When you, when you realize it doesn't hang on your every move, all of a sudden you get a freedom to live for God. He's a good God. He doesn't grow weary. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't get slow or slack. No, I remember one time I, I had lost my grandfather and I went through a little rough patch. I was young. I was probably 13, 14 years old. And... I had lost my grandfather, and I was kind of acting out. How many of you just can't believe that I would ever act out? Just wave at me. Nobody wave. Y'all got to pray for me. So I was 13 or 14 years old, and I was acting out a little bit. I might have been 15. But anyway, doing things and, you know, talking certain ways and, you know, just acting whatever. My parents, because my parents are good parents, they sat me down. And, and, and we were having a talk. Some of you, you just do well to just talk to your kids. Just turn the TV off, talk to them. They'll tell you most anything you want to know. But anyway, I'm sitting there talking to my parents, and the question would always come back to this, because I, I, as for my house, as for my parents' house, they serve the Lord. So it was always going to come back to Jesus, period. It was just always going to get back to that. They're not here this morning, by the way. That's why I'm talking about them so much. But, uh, uh, so it was always going to come back to that. So we're sitting there, we're talking, and, you know, I can, I can sense, that because I wasn't dumb, I could sense where the conversation was heading. So I had already, I had already uh, uh, planned my approach, you know. I was going to blame God for everything. It was going to be great. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and my dad says, so, you know, tell me, how's your relationship with the Lord? And I was like, finally he asked, you know because I was waiting on that moment. And I said, you know, Dad. <laughs> Very dramatic, as you would imagine, a 15-year-old uh, acting. I said, you know, Dad, <sighs> I haven't felt God 
Number one, we don't live by our feelings. Can we just agree? But I was a kid, so whatever. I said, I haven't felt God since Papa died. And I thought, you want to talk about a trump card, baby. I'm about to play the God card on my parents. But you can't do that with Holy Ghost parents because they'll mess you up. So I said, I haven't felt God since Papa died. And this, I don't want to call it rage, but it's close to that. Passion came over my father. And, and, and this look in his eyes. And he leans over. I stick your hand up, brother. And he grabs my arm like that. And my dad's hand's as big as a, a baseball mitt. Shaking his hand is like grabbing a bunch of bananas. Just, it's almost weird. Or those summertime sausage, those party time sausage. It's like grabbing a pack of sausage. I am hungry. So I told Dad, I said, I haven't felt God. My, now, my grandfather had been dead for about a year. Of course, he was in heaven. I said, I haven't felt God since Papa died. And he got this look on his face. And he leaned over and grabbed my hand. And he said, Oh, God of heaven and earth. And I'm like, ah. He said, I've served you all the days of my life. And I will serve you until you rapture your church or I die and be with you. As your child, I ask you to let my son feel your power now. And I was like, Tears well up in my eyes. My mother wept like a child. When I opened my eyes, my father was weeping. Because for a moment, I had lost sight of the fact that he's a good God. He's a good father. So we got to train ourselves. David would say it like this. David would say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. When you're in church, we hear that term, but I want you to think for just a second. It's your mind. You have to tell your mind to bless God. Not because, not because we have to, but because He's a good God. He really is a good Father. Your will. Sometimes, you know, you just, you just got to discipline yourself. To pray when you don't feel like praying. Your emotions will lie to you. God gave us our emotions. They're not a negative thing. But somebody's going to say something to you this week. You're going to have the opportunity to be offended. To let your emotions take hold. Or to not. 
So you got to tell your mind. You got to tell your will. Hey, 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 we're going to bless the Lord. When? All the time. In the morning, in the noontime. That old song, Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime. But you got to remind yourself. There's no greater description of our Christ than the good shepherd. Because a shepherd, especially in those days, it's not like they punched the clock at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning and then punched out at 5. They never left the sheep. That's how he would know. You remember when Jesus said, if a shepherd loses one out of a hundred sheep, he'll leave that herd of 99 sheep and he'll go get the one that's lost. The reason he knows is because he never leaves the sheep. He's a good God. But we have to remind ourselves. Philippians chapter 3, Paul said it like this. He said, I press, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. No, we got to pursue this thing. We got to press. We got to press. Ephesians says it like this. Endeavor to keep the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. Endeavor means to work at it. No, there's some people in your life that you know they're godly people that get under your skin. You got to work to keep the spirit of unity. You got to work. Our worship team, listen, it, it, maybe you don't know it, uh, but, but it's our setup crew, all, it's a stressful thing to, to do this every week. I don't mean to preach. I love preaching. Preach is easy for me. I love it. Shandarahatata. I love preaching. But everything that goes on with this, these lights, they don't, nobody comes in here and punches a button and they go, that would be awesome. New church, somebody take a note. We're going to make everything go like that. But they got to endeavor to keep the spirit of unity. You got to endeavor. You got to endeavor. You got to work. You got to press. You got you to work at it. Ephesians 3.20 where he talks about doing abundantly above morning ask or think. Then he closes that thought. In verse 1 of the fourth chapter, Paul says, now look, God can do more than you can ever ask or think. It's, he's, just, he's just that way. And the next thought was this. And this is what I want to encourage you with and I'm closing. He said, walk worthy of the vocation of your vocation. Walk worthy of your calling. You see, the grace of God is infinite. But there's a whole nother level in God when you get access to the grace and then you begin to endeavor. When you begin to walk worthy of your calling. When you begin to press towards the mark for the prize. There's a whole nother place in God. But you can't do it out of fear you can't do it out of concern the only motivating factor that will hold you is to know that he is a good father everybody stand to your feet please I'm done teaching team if you would come back up here